0: You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome, everybody, and welcome to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive beatniks and creative renegades, who are trying to figure out how to fully participate in and contribute to the world while still keeping their health, their equanimity, and hopefully even their sanity in the process. I'm Leah Burkhart, a writer, podcaster, educator, coach, introvert extraordinary, extraordinary? Introvert extraordinaire, <laughs> and a classic highly sensitive um, maybe even somewhat obnoxious but s- hopefully still basically lovable person. Uh, anyway, welcome. Before I get started, I just wanted to say uh, I missed you. I haven't published an episode in a couple of weeks. Um, part of that's because I've been living in my version of a kind of apocalypse. Um, I think we're all living in our own version of that at this point in our lives. It's getting to the point where we're all, I think, getting a kind of apocalypse fatigue um, you know I live on the west coast specifically Oregon and if you don't happen to live on the west coast yourself you might be interested to know that you know it's on fire all of it or <laughs> most of it anyway at least it was so maybe by the time you listen to this it won't be anymore um, one of my colleagues has said her entire family has a catchphrase in their household and the catchphrase is added to the list um, and so just kind of just want to take a moment here and really look at the list that we're working with i mean pandemic presidential election at least for those of us in the u.s civil unrest um, ecological mayhem i.e in my case fires um, along with air quality scores that were poor enough to even make china raise their eyebrows in scorn so yeah so if you're feeling like i pooped out on you full disclosure I totally did. Uh, I think I'm getting, like I said, apocalypse fatigue, and it's not in the DSM yet, but it totally should be. Uh, but anyway, here I am, back in action. The smoke is cleared here in Oregon, at least, and with the new air has come an ability to think clearly enough to be able to create. So yay me! <laughs> um, you know, it's really amazing how being on alert to maybe or maybe not evacuate can you know really disrupt your juju in the creativity department. Um, I should say too, in all honesty, that in addition to my creativity fuel running a bit low, I also noticed my optimism begin to wane. Um, You know, my sense of hope for the future, my sense of capacity in the present. It's been feeling lately like there's no oasis to turn to. There's a sense that, you know, like the at least card has been pulled from the deck. I can't seem to say, well, you know, hey, at least our country's holding together. Um, the hard reality is that it, it isn't, uh, or at least it doesn't feel like it. And I can't really say, hey, well, at least we have each other. Um, you know, it really kind of feels like we're thoroughly divided. If the news is to be believed, people in the United States are either hopelessly devoted to Trump or else they are disgusted by him. Look far enough to the left, and you'll find groups like Antifa, who find it acceptable to attack unarmed journalists like Andy Ngo for simply, I don't know, doing his job. Look to the right, and you'll find people like the Proud Boys, with members such as Brian Brothoved. I really hope I'm not mispronouncing his name, but at any rate, a member who proudly so to speak, states that if you were to ask members of the group, 90% of them would probably say Hitler got it right, gas the Jews. So we have a president who is willing to say that our numbers would be great in terms of COVID numbers if you just kind of, you know, cut out the blue states and a guy who mocks another candidate for wearing a mask and then only a week or so later is in the hospital. Um. this is where we are. It's it's a little scary. You know, even voices from people who I have found are notoriously conscientious and thoughtful are showing signs of being hijacked by a world of polarization. So as an example, Sam Harris, a podcaster I thoroughly respect and admire, had a conversation with John McWhorter, um, a gentleman who I believe is a linguist, a PhD in linguistics. I hope I'm i uh, recording that correctly, but they both were in a conversation and criticized a man named Ibram Kendi. Uh, he's the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist. In the episode, both men said that Kendi had only grievances, many of which were unfounded. Um, side note, for anyone who wants to make a case that both of these men are just racist, like if you want to just say, oh, well, obviously they would say that, you know, Sam Harris and this gentleman, John McWhorter, they're probably just racists. Um, It's a little difficult to make that case uh, in light of the fact that Sam Harris is Jewish and John McWhorter is himself black. I'm not saying that just because of that, you cannot also be racist, but honestly, just cool it. Um, So at any rate, these are people that I respect and admire. And so hearing voices of reprimand in this way would obviously lead me to then go read the book. So I did, I read, went and read Kendi's book. And I found that most of his thoughts were articulated beautifully. And while it was painful to read, you know, any book that shows a civilization, its own weaknesses will be, most of the arguments waged by these intellectual titans seemed to me to be coming from kind of an emotional space and by that I mean you know Sam Harris and McWhorter they were kind of emotionally charged more so than intellectually so so it's it almost kind of felt like they hadn't read the book so even people with that level of capacity and clarity of thought are capable of getting hijacked by having an emotional response to their culture I'm also seeing this you know again I'm not just poo-pooing on Trump here I'm seeing some of this in Biden's campaign seen less of it, admittedly, but I don't think anyone will be I mean, okay, first of all, I don't think anyone will be shocked to discover that I'm not a fan of Trump. I recently had a conversation with a Trump supporter who didn't understand my dislike of him. I explained that I like my presidents to be able to unite a country. And Trump is not doing that. Not that I can see. And his response, this gentleman's response was that he didn't care about rhetoric, he cared more about results. And in and Trump, and his mind, is getting results. You know, I, I can't disagree with that. Trump is definitely getting results of a sort. I just don't happen to like them. So I'm not a fan. So that's my bias. But I'm disgusted by those who cry out that anyone but Trump is an appropriate rally cry for a Democratic campaign. I'm exhausted by a media who just wants to talk about how Trump is the devil. Uh, I recently was told by a friend that Trump had a plan that was federal for COVID, but he chucked it because it was more politically expedient to let the blue states suffer. The idea was, well, it's only likely to be the blue states that will get hit hardest. So if we do nothing, it will look like blue states don't manage outbreaks well, which would bode well for us, us being Republicans politically. Um, But when I was told this, it was as if it had been quoted by Trump and I had to do some research. So one article linked to another, which linked to another until the final source was... Vanity Fair. Um, Nothing against Vanity Fair, but that's not exactly an unbiased source. And it wasn't a direct quote. It was more complicated than that. Anyway, all of this is to say, I guess this is the heart of what I'm trying to talk about. I'm tired of conversations that center on what we are against. I'm exhausted by it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear about how you are against immigrants. Jokes on you if you are, by the way. Immigrants are what make this country great. So if you're against immigrants, I sure hope you're against Albert Einstein, Sergi Brin, Levi Strauss, Dikembri Matombo, Joseph Pulitzer, Rupert Murdoch, Isabel Allende, Oscar de la Renta, Stephen Chen, Ariana Huffington, Mariano Rivera, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Natalie Portman. Myla Kunis, Sofia Vergara, Bob Marley, Alex Trebek, Penelope Cruz, Bruce Willis, Audrey Hepburn, Caesar Milan, Liam Neeson, Jackie Chan, I can keep going. So I'm getting a little bit tired of people who are just like, yep, let's just, you know, keep those other people out. Um, you know, Germany did that too. And I'm not even trying to go pull the Nazi card. All I'm saying is, during that time, Germany had a policy of very much that was like hey we're going to create this very small little bubble of people in their case Aryan is what they called them but whatever and we're just going to kind of boot out all the rest which is a fine strategy I suppose except that among those they booted out was Albert Einstein who having given all of his research over to the United States helped the United States win the war so when you start saying things like hey You know, we're going to just create this magical, mythical little bubble of awesome. And you kick out people with different points of view. uh, You lose really valuable things, you know, like wars. Uh, Just saying. And when you invite diversity into your community, often what you also invite is ingenuity. You invite new ideas. uh, You invite better ideas in many respects. And not always, but most of the time. So anyway, I digress. Uh I also don't want to hear about how you're anti-gun. It's the second amendment. Get over it. But I also don't want to hear that you're anti-gun control. I don't want to hear about you being anti-abortion. I don't want to hear about you being anti-capitalist. I don't want to hear about you being anti-LGBTQ. I don't want to hear about you being anti-Republican, and I definitely don't want to hear about you being anti-Democrat. Even Kendi's book, so this is now getting back to Ibram Kendi, who I was just talking about earlier in that example where I gave, um, where McWhorter is lamenting about Kendi's uh, arguments in the book that he wrote, Kendi's book being How to Be an Anti-Racist. Like, even the language, How to Be an Anti-Racist, though an extremely well written book, and one that I agreed with, and many of its points, it seemed to be missing something really vital in its language. It's not that you aren't allowed to be against these things. So when I say I don't want to hear about you being anti-gun, anti-capitalist, anti-LGBTQ, anti-abortion, whatever, even anti-immigrant, it's like, it's not that you're not allowed to be against a thing. All I'm saying is that it's not enough to be against these things. I don't just want to hear about what you're against. I want to hear about what you're for. I just want to pause for a second so you can take that in. It seems a little revolutionary, which is kind of sad, but I mean it. Like, when it comes to, I, mean, I don't know how to explain this exactly, except to say, when, I'll say it this way, we're kind of behaving like a bunch of toddlers. So we seem to be really exceptionally adept at saying, no with a satisfyingly pouty face to those things we detest and want no part of. And what I'm realizing is, like, I speak a lot about politics, but honest to God, I think that this is going, it's leaking into almost every aspect of our lives. It's almost like we're taking the concept of commandments and we're extending it into the way we see the world. So let me take it away from politics for just a second. When we talk about nutrition, we often speak primarily about foods that you need to avoid. Don't eat sugar, drink soda, or eat any processed foods because after all thou shalt not eat junk um, we do the same thing with the concept of relaxation well if you want to relax stop watching television stop reading the news and avoid social media duh thou shalt not indulge in useless endeavors uh, when we talk about relationships we often are laying rules for what we can't do we cannot have sex with other people we cannot say the wrong things politically and oh dear this is bringing it back to politics for god's sake Oh wait, that's right, we're not supposed to talk about him. Or her. Whatever. For the sake of whatever higher power you deem worthy, don't you dare root for the wrong team. That would give you away as a villain. In short, thou shalt not do anything to suggest you are anything other than unequivocally on my side. So, regardless of where we look, I seem to be seeing this this pattern emerge where it's like... We're constantly on the lookout for what we want to avoid, what we want to reject, and what we are anti. I'm exhausted by this. Okay, and, and there's a reason for it too. I mean, for, okay, fun fact, shaming people doesn't get them to change their behavior. It just doesn't. You know, it might feel satisfying. You know, as satisfying as it might feel to raise hell, sing songs of all that we are against, and as happy as we might be to spit on products, ideas and people we dislike, i have some really unfortunate news for you guys. It doesn't work. Researcher Bernie Brown speaks to this beautifully in a number of her best-selling books, and i think two of the lines most appropriate here are number 1. Don't try and win over the haters. You are not a jackass whisperer. And number 2, you cannot shame or belittle people into changing their behavior. Okay, so let's start with the first one. Don't try and win over the haters. You are not a jackass whisperer. By trade, I'm a life coach and a health educator. I get paid to help people make changes in their lives. I've learned, albeit the hard way, that I have no business trying to, quote, convert people to my point of view. Here's a perfect example. I was on the COVID hotline at the hospital where I work. A man called and had some questions. He then proceeded to insist that the entire COVID-19 pandemic was a complete hoax. He offered to pay me $2 million if I could provide a photograph of the virus, a sum I am reasonably certain he would not have been able to provide should I have been successful, but I digress. What do you think I did? (laughs) Do you think I argued with him? Do you think I threw a fit and explained that he was an idiot? Did I perhaps insist that he look at, like, I don't know, any scholarly article with an image capturing what a COVID virus looks like? Of course not. I'm not a jackass whisperer. You want to know what I did? I got off the phone. It's really just that simple folks. <laughs> like, okay, so let's move on to number two. You cannot shame or belittle people into changing behavior. This one I think is exceptionally important. And I say that because it is this one we seem to be banging our head against all the while surprised by the ferocious headache we're developing in the process of doing that. So if we think if we're just sarcastic enough Like if we make enough funny jokes about Trump, maybe Trump supporters will see the error of their ways. If we protest against the things we are against with enough viciousness, then all will be forced to heal, and by that I mean heal like a dog. If I just mean enough to you, you will sit. Damn it! It, And this again—it goes everywhere, just not just politics. You know, damn it! Don't you know cigarettes are bad for you? Yes, they know it. Quitting is hard. What is wrong with you? You know you have to stop eating sugar. Sugar's delicious and it's addictive. Quitting is hard. Don't you know global climate change is real? You need to stop driving gas-guzzling cars. Yes, because yelling at people will totally get them to trade in their SUVs. All of this is to say, I'm done. I'm tired. I no longer want to hear about what you are against. Tell me what you're for. And here's the thing. If you want to talk politics, most of us here in America, shocking upon shockers here, we agree on an awful lot of crap. We agree on a lot of things. So, for example, we agree religion, and this, by the way, is coming from Reader's Digest, so not my stats. But some of the things, according to Reader's Digest, that we agree on Religion is important, or at the very least, having some kind of spiritual practice is. Most of us agree that we feel pretty good and pretty healthy. I don't know if that's still true under our current circumstances, but at the time that the article was written, we all felt pretty good. Uh, We agree that fair elections are essential. That's kind of a nice touch. We might not agree on who we think should get elected, but we seem to be pretty, you know, big fans of fair elections. Most of us are proud to be an American. I don't know to what extent that's true at this particular moment, but at the time that this article was written, most of us um, think it's wrong to cheat in relationships. Most of us believe in checks and balances. Nobody seems to be bored in America. Like if you ask your average American person, they won't say, God, I'm just really bored with my life right now. Most people are pretty busy. (laughs) They're too busy to be bored. Um, Most Americans agree that marriage is a positive thing. Most Americans agree that birth control is morally fine. Uh, to give some percentages on this, I, I had to get the percentage here because I didn't even believe it, but most Americans think that government should be helping with healthcare costs in some fashion. How many? 92%. Not kidding, folks. Most Americans like to work and they value hard work. In the 90s, in terms of percentages. of Americans support background checks for gun owners. 98% of people love the internet. We really do agree on a lot of crap, guys. (laughs) We do, we do, we do, we do. So what I don't understand then is why we're spending all of our time trying to carve out lines and insist, hey, this is what I'm against. One of my favorite authors, uh, I don't, I don't think I want to name her by name because I, I don't want to throw someone under the bus here. But I will say that occasionally, on the very rare instances that I go on Instagram, I might see a video from her and I almost always click on it because she has such fabulous insights and she, the way she thinks is clear. Uh, she has this ability to marry humility along with um, I'll say the word insight again. And the the thing at the top or the title was don't get cute on election day. And I am politically inclined. So just to give you a little bit of background about me, if you haven't heard this before, I graduated with a bachelor, two bachelor's degrees, one in economics and the other in politics. So I love this stuff. I love history. I love understanding the world I live in as it relates to economics and politics. And then I got my master's degree in health education because originally I was going to go into health policy, decided health policy was awful and then switched gears. So just to give you the background there. So naturally, when this woman posts something about, you know, anything politically inclined, this woman I love, I'm of course going to click on it. And she tells this story. She said, you know, in 2008, 2008, was it 2004? It was Gore versus Bush. That was 2004, right? Wow. I mean... Math is hard. Anyway, in that election, she said a friend of hers, quote unquote, got cute and decided to vote for Nader. And it was a protest. It was sort of saying, I'm done with the two party system. I want something more. I want my voice to be heard. And tens of thousands of people did have their voices heard when they voted for Nader. And what she then said is what that ultimately resulted in was a vote for Bush. And so we got Bush as a president. And she said to him at that time, you know, I love you, but I'm so angry with you right now. I can't. I, she was going to have a get together at her home for people that she cared about to commiserate, I think, primarily about or maybe celebrate. I don't know whether she was planning it before they knew the results or after. I don't know. But the end, the, at the end of the day, she decided to tell her friend, you're not invited to my house. I'm sorry. I just can't. They're still friends today. So almost 20 years later. And she told she had a conversation with him and said, Hey, do you remember that time when, you know, I was having these get together and I didn't like come over because you voted for Nader blah, blah, blah. And evidently he said, Yeah, you know, I regret that vote. I really do. And so she said, Good, I'm glad you do. And and I, I hope you do better this time. And what she said to people was, listen, this is the world we live in. We have a two-party system. Our country is basically a cancer patient with a gunshot wound. Yes, we have a lot of problems we need to fix and we need to take care of the cancer. But first, we need to get the gun wound taken care of. So for her, Trump was representative of a gunshot wound. Now, I've got to tell you from my personal set of opinions, beliefs, values, etc., I happen to agree with her on that. However, what she said to her viewers was this, you know, vote for who you're going to vote for, but don't get cute on election day, because if you do, you're not allowed to come over to my house. And then she lost me. This is what I'm seeing over and over and over again. Nazi Germany did not come into play because Hitler made it so. In 1929, when we decided, hey, this is pretty bad, maybe we should boot out the guy we've got into the office and bring in FDR. Some of the cool things that happened during that time when FDR was president did not come about solely because of FDR. When Obama was elected, the things that we got done did not get done just because of Obama these people are just men in this case all men because we've only had men as president so far what I guess you can see ideas as um maybe I'll put it this way there are some really terrifying ideas that are circulating in our country I, I consider groups like the Proud Boys, as well as groups like Antifa, to be kind of viruses. Not necessarily because of what they stand for or against, but how they behave, and the degree of viciousness with which they're willing to, to engage in the world so as to promote their ideas. As, you, know, you go far enough to the left or far enough to the right, you end up in sociopath territory eventually. I mean, that's just how that works. You know, as soon as you get so black and white in your thinking that you are incapable of nuance, I can't, I can't meet you there. I just, I can't, I don't have the capacity for that. You've got to have some, some room for nuance. Which I guess then just kind of circles back to me now being the anti, because now I'm saying if you can't do nuance. Anyway, though, um, I see anyone who's with that degree of like when people come in with an idea and an unwillingness to to have their ideas challenged in any way i see that as a kind of virus viruses can't just go into the body and ipso facto take it down two things have to be true number one the virus has got to be a pretty tough cookie i don't know if you know this about viruses but viruses are basically just either rna or dna like they aren't even actual organisms their only purpose is to reproduce. That's it. That's all they do. And then if they reproduce uh, viciously enough, they might actually take down the organism. Viruses don't actually want to kill the organism. They have no malicious intent. They're just thinking, I want to reproduce, kind of like a cancer cell, to be quite honest, except a cancer cell is actually an organism, but I digress. Anyway, so one, the virus has to be pretty potent and adaptable. Like, As an example, influenza virus is extremely adaptable. It's why we have to keep getting new vaccines. And COVID appears to be quite adaptable. That has to be the first part of it. A second part, though, is that you have to be dealing with an organism that is weakened enough such that its immune system can't mount a defense against it. And so far as I can tell, our immune system is extremely weak right now. And every time we say, if you don't do what I tell you, you're not invited to my house, we weaken the immune system further. It's just like with our bodies. When we don't get enough sleep, and if we don't eat the right foods, and if we don't stay hydrated, and if we don't, you know, practice basic self-care, we weaken our immune systems. And what we do is leave ourselves susceptible to really nefarious invaders like a virus. So I'm saying all this, I'm not... Championing any one man, certainly not someone like Hitler. And I'm not necessarily going to liken Trump to Hitler, but what I will say is when people do that, if you really and truly believe whoever it is, if, I don't care who it is that you're looking at, you're like, oh, he's a potential dictator. He's a potential villain. Okay, maybe. I don't know. I've never personally met any of these people. I can't say for sure. But here's what I can tell you if you're really and truly worried that we might end up in a situation, where we are deprived of some basic rights and dignity. What should worry you is not who will or will not get elected. What should worry you is the way we are treating one another. As soon as you point a finger and you say, if you believe that that guy has, is saying something that makes sense, I cannot stand by you. I You are now the enemy. You've effectively just made an enemy out of half of the country. Is that really what you want to do? Because if you do that, you've now weakened our collective immune system. Most of the Trump supporters that I've spoken to are not evil. I disagree with them politically. I they'll say things that I will say like in my mind it will drive me crazy. But at the end of the day, these same people go home to their families and they treat their families with dignity and respect and kindness. And they go to work every day and they work hard. Most of the people I know who are supporters of Trump will say, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't love the guy. I got to be honest. But he did this one thing. Like He backed this one policy for this one group in um, Alaska. And that allowed them to continue hunting in a very particular way that they find to be valuable and no other candidate was willing to do that so I voted for him or they'll say things like yeah you know not a big fan but I'm you know having the right to bear arms is really important to me and I didn't see the democratic candidate as being willing to do that for me now I disagree I might disagree and say those aren't that valuable they're not valuable to me personally but I cannot go so far as to say and by extension I can now say you are evil because you support him I can't I can't meet you there. And terror should strike in our hearts when all of us are suddenly seeing half of our country as an enemy. And like I said, you know, when I was talking about all the things that we ultimately agree on, we agree on an awful lot. Most of us agree that we should have fair elections. Most of us agree that we should have some freedom of speech. Most of us agree in, in these areas. So ultimately, I don't want to hear what you are against I want to hear what you stand for. So when you have, for example, Ibram Kendi, who's like, I want to be an anti-racist. Okay, great. But what does that mean? And don't just tell me that you're anti-racism. Tell me what it means and what it looks like to live in a world free of racism. What, is th- what kind of policies can we pass? What kinds of things do you think will make a difference in the lives of those that you're trying to champion and advocate for? You know, what can I be doing? Or, what can I discontinue doing to aid in those efforts? Tell me what you stand for. Don't just tell me that you're anti Kendi or, you know, when he's like, oh, God, those, you know, all those people with those, like, oh, great example is the um, defund the police thing. Like, when you really talk to these folks, they're not crazy. Not, I mean, some of them obviously are, but most of them have extremely well thought out concepts and ideas that they're putting forth. And they'll say, No, I don't think that all police officers are horrible, but I think we need to take some of the funds away from the police force and then allocate some of those funds to other resources that will help to de escalate these really horrific situations so that, and so on and so forth. These aren't people that are anarchists but they are being critical of the system that we have in place now I'm with you as soon as you start telling me about what you stand for I am in as an example like if you just tell me that you're anti-abortion but you'll notice that when it's like they don't talk about anti-abortion or anti-life it's pro-choice and pro-life And they verbalize their opinions in that way because they understand that people link to pros more than they link to antis. So here's a really good example. I'm not a huge, like, I don't value guns. I don't think they're that big of a, like, whatever. Like, what is with you and not wanting gun control? But I can, when someone tells me, this is why it's important to me, this is why I value it. And this is a part of our our rite of passage and our family and blah, 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 blah. You know, I can track you along there. And for me, it's like, okay, fine, you want to be pro gun, can we also be pro common sense gun control? Most of the time they are in the same way, by the way, now let's reverse this, I'm using these two examples, because often, it attracts people in different ends of the spectrum. So now let's take abortion. A lot of people who are pro choice, will get criticisms from people who say, okay, but where are you going to draw the line? Like, can we all agree that at six months, if you've been carrying this thing around, if this thing could live on its own, maybe don't have an abortion. I don't think that's unreasonable. And I'm not trying to make a case for and you know, like Leah Burkhardt stands for new blah, blah, blah. What I'm saying, though, is regardless of what it is that you're interested in, if you want me to pay attention to you, tell me what you stand for, not what you stand against. Don't tell me you're anti-Biden. Don't tell me you're anti-Trump. Tell me why you want to vote for Biden. And if you tell me one more time that it's anybody but Trump, I don't care, that's not a useful. I, I, I can't follow you in that direction. I don't, I need more than that. I demand more than that. I don't want to hear that you're anti-capitalist. I love anti-capitalist, by the way, because most of the time they're tweeting about how anti-capitalist they are on their iPhones. While drinking coconut water. Cute. Real cute. (laughs) But hey, maybe you are for having common sense legislation that puts a leash on our capitalistic tendencies so that there's more of an opportunity for equity amongst our peoples. I'm with you. I can track you there. Yeah, let's talk, friends. Let's talk. So let me tell you a little bit about the things that I'm for. So like when it comes to personal well-being... I am enthusiastically in favor of eating nourishing food, regularly exercising, developing a spiritual practice, taking time to recharge. I'm for healthy relationships. You know, I'm a champion of having a creative outlet or a regular practice in personal growth and time for rest and rejuvenation. This means I spend the bulk of my time encouraging others to live in accordance with their values and schedule their priorities rather than merely prioritizing their schedule. The reason this is valuable is that if you spend all of your time and attention focusing on what you're for, what you care about, you can organically start to crowd out the things you dislike. So if if we get into a conversation politically about the things that we want, most of the time, we inadvertently start to crowd out the stuff we don't want. So as an example, and this is something I have to celebrate uh, John McWhorter for, he's the gentleman who wasn't a big fan of Kendi. You know, he said, hey... I I want equity too. Here are some ways that we would go about doing that. Number one, we would increase our uh, investment in education so that we could increase literacy across the board. Number two, we'd increase access to uh, birth control options, specifically long-term birth control options. And he made it, he was very clear. He's like, I'm not talking about forcing people not to be able to have kids. What I'm talking about is increasing access so that people have access to birth control options where they don't have to think so hard about it. And then finally, it was, let's get rid of the war on drugs. I mean, half the time, probably greater than half the time, some of the ways in which uh, the African-American community is disenfranchised the most is by virtue of of making this uh, the whole drug scenario a problem of um you know a a criminal problem rather than a public health problem he said if you got rid of that you would probably eliminate a good chunk of the of the problem with regard to the, the the lack of equity amongst races specifically as it relates to black americans i don't know if that's true i'm not the specialist they seem like pretty intelligent guys And he was telling me, "Here's what we need to do. Here's what I'm for. I am all on board with that." And even Kendi, when he used anti-language, he would say things like, "I'm anti-capitalist." However, I'm only saying that because I've been told that when I advocate for legislation and um, you know restrictions on capitalism and you know putting regulation—that's the word—like I'm for having regulation and a lot of. Republicans tell me that makes me anti-capitalist so okay fine I guess I'm anti-capitalist I think we should have regulation so I mean as far as I was concerned as I'm listening to him I'm just like oh yeah I'm totally with you too but what caught my attention and got me on his side was not him saying anti-capitalist he got me on his side as soon as he said I am for reasonable regulation now I'm with you I'm just like that makes sense let's totally go there yeah And you know, when it comes to our personal relationships, like I'm in favor of thinking critically, challenging our own assumptions, you know, I'm for giving people the benefit of the doubt, assuming best intentions, I'm for healthy boundaries and effective communication. So this means when I speak to others, I'm generally spending a lot of time asking people to get curious about the other person's point of view. And when we start to do that, much more progress is made. Again, not saying here that we shouldn't be anti like drawing lines in the sand and saying I am not going to like I won't stand for this can be powerful, essential and important. I absolutely think that drawing a line in the sand and saying I will not stand for racism. That's powerful. However, that is a concept, it's an idea. And really it becomes effective only when you say, I will not stand for racist behavior. Notice the difference there. It's, I, that's different than saying, I will not stand for any person who I would consider a racist. Because I don't think there's any such thing as a person who is purely racist or purely anti-racist. We can only talk about behaviors. And this, I have to confess, is big in what Kendi also talks about as well. Even he says, you know, no one's a purist here. We have to talk about it in terms of individuals and talk about it in terms of behaviors. That I'm on board with. But I, you lose me as soon as, and I, just to be clear, Kendi didn't do this, but I hear it from a lot of people who will sort of um, hijack ideas from these, these intellectual titans and say, oh, well, Kendi said racism was bad, and I think you're a racist, so I'm anti-you. As soon as you go there, you have lost me. As soon as you say, you are not invited to my house because you are evil. I think the only kinds of people I can really say, yeah, okay, fine, you might be evil are psychopaths and they constitute 1% of the population. You can't. I'm sorry, I'm not giving you 50% of the population of the United States of America are evil. Not going there with you. So I'm for having tough conversations and coming, from these, and coming into these conversations assuming the best intentions. And in terms of our community then, I'm for having common sense practices and rituals that leave the greatest number of people with the least amount of suffering. So I'm for common courtesy. I'm a big fan of turning on your blinker before turning into a lane. Even bigger fan of generosity. So in other words, I would say I'm a champion for seeing a community as being bigger than all of its parts. And when it comes to politics... I am for honest conversation and free speech. You know, I am for someone saying something, even if I don't like it, maybe especially if I don't like it. And then I'm also for having the opportunity to respond. I am not a huge fan of Ben Shapiro. Like I I should put that out there right now. At least I I like him, the person, but most of his ideas I disagree with. I'd say like 90% of the time when he's talking, I'm like, nope, 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 nope. And nope, disagree with you. However, one thing I absolutely adore love about the man is that I can track I I can't I don't agree with where he starts. And I don't agree with where he lands. But I can follow him point by point and see how he got from one point to the next without any trouble. And I think he has a fair amount of integrity because he's willing to go out there and have tough conversations as a as a conservative. And again, a man I disagree with on many counts. But he is willing to have tough conversations and he does it mostly with a lot of respect. I mean, he's got a little bit of sarcasm, but please, what intelligent person that you know of doesn't have a little sarcasm under his belt. But one thing Ben Shapiro said in a conversation he had with Joe Rogan when, on a podcast episode was, you know, if you're trying to start a movement, you don't, you know, successful movements, or I should say movements don't become successful when they come from a place of grievances movements, or maybe they do, I guess it's a better way of putting it. I want to make sure and do justice to his argument. What he's saying is movements become successful when they're coming from the space of we are not living in accordance with what America stands for. America stands for all of these great things. And you want to know something? We're not living up to it. We need to do better. And he makes a case that you know, this is why uh, gay rights became was so successful. Like, uh, this is why those who were championing uh, gay marriage became successful. Because over and over and over what they drove home was we stand for these American principles. And we would like to make sure and remind you, we aren't being privy to some of these rights and privileges. And that's not okay. And if you keep driving at it from that perspective, it's really hard to argue against it. At a certain point, you're going to get a critical mass of people who go, yeah, you're not wrong. (laughs) Uh, This is what Martin Luther King Jr. was able to do masterfully over and over. He said, you know, I have a dream. He, He didn't say I have a dream and it's with half of America stops being an idiot. No, what he says is, you know, I have a dream that there's a point we're going to come to when we're not judged by the color of our skin, but by the quality of our character. I have a dream. And when he says that, he's saying, I'm seeing all of what this country has to offer. Damn it. Some of us aren't being granted access to it. But in my dream, we both get there. We both get to have these things. That is masterful. That is not an anti-argument. That is a pro-argument. That is saying we can do better. I demand that we do better. And that's how you get people to move And that's how you get people to move with the momentum and even um, acceleration. You don't get people to follow you by saying, you know, talking only about what you are against. And you know something, when I say that I'm for things like honest conversation, equality of opportunity, you know, I'm a big fan of our constitution, would like to see it honored. Um, For looking critically at the way we do things and that I'm perpetually, you know, like I want us to always be striving to do better. Um, When I say I'm for experimentation and trial and error and looking at what we do well and expanding on it. Like that's the Steven Pinkers of the world who are saying, hey, there's a lot of things we're making progress on. Can we take a minute and look at what we're doing well and then try and expand on it rather than only look at the things that we do poorly? And then at the same time, yes, also look at what we're doing poorly and work to improve that. You know I might be wrong but I have a sneaking suspicion that most of what I put down in terms of what I what I am and what I'm for I'm pretty sure most Americans would agree with those principles. The challenge that we face is agreeing on how to get there. So here's what I would just like to put out there to anyone who might want to engage in conversation with those both that you disagree with as well as those that you do agree with. Try and drop Your anti language. Try and move away from I'm anti this person or anti that person. I'm anti this policy or anti that. Move toward what you are for, and I guarantee you, you're going to get more of a response from people than when you talk only about what you are against. This goes back, this isn't just me using woo woo language, by the way. Again, this is in the research. Just as I quoted Brene Brown over and over again, like she was asked in one of her podcast episodes, you know, hey, is there ever a place for shame when we're trying to say, hey, you know, white racism is shameful. And she said, okay, well, first of all, it's one thing for to, to feel shame for when you do something poorly. That's different than being shamed. So she discerned between those two things. And she also said, if I thought it was true, that if we shamed people, Even though it was uncomfortable for them, they ultimately changed their behavior. I would say, tough cookies, roll your sleeves up, get used to being uncomfortable. But the reality is, it doesn't work. When people are shamed, they become defensive. They put on, they they can't hear you. As soon as you start shaming people, they stop listening to what you have to say. They, They become incapable of hearing the heart and the meat and the juice of what you are saying. What works is curiosity. Curiosity is absolutely disarming. What works is really talking about, okay, what are our values here? Where, where do we meet? Where, can we t- where are the places where we can agree? And then how can we move forward from that place? I'm not suggesting that you're not allowed to be anti-things. But what I am saying is we've gone so far to the extreme of only talking about what we are against that we've lost our ability to work together. It's not working. We're sh- shaming each other is getting us nowhere. And I'm for what's effective, not for what makes me feel good in the moment. You know, sugar makes me feel good in the moment. But what's effective is exercise. I mean, what's effective is vegetables. Like we need to start doing the political equivalent of eating our vegetables and drinking our water and getting enough sleep. And that is by having tough conversations where we are willing to conceive the possibility that maybe we don't have all the answers And maybe the people who disagree with us have a chunk that we've missed. I've certainly discovered that every time that I've spoken with someone I disagreed with. Even when I disagree with everything they say, I often find that they are able to find a weakness in my own argument that I have to look more closely at. It's sort of like going back to that old adage, you know, I disagree with everything you have to say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. That is what I think America stands for. And if we lose that, it won't matter who wins our election, this term, or the next. It will only, like, we will only go down as the country who, who broke ourselves apart. So, I would like to know from you then. What are you for? Like I've talked about the things that I'm for, things like, you know, I'm for healthy food and, and nourishing experiences and healthy relationships and a healthy community and I'm for having tough conversations and you know, facing their challenges and looking looking them in the eye and saying, Okay, what are we doing well and what are we doing poorly? You know, I'm for taking things one step at a time and making real progress while also maintaining our dignity. What are you for? What are the kinds of things that when you think about like, yeah, this is what I stand for. This is something that matters to me. These are my values. If you were willing to share them with me, I'd be delighted. You can email me www.thehealthysensitive.com. There's a contact me page. You can also just email me at Leah at the So if you want to share, I'd love to hear them. If you don't want to, then that's totally fine as well. But think about it for your own self. Contemplate the possibility that you don't have all the answers. Consider then, consider to, not just what you stand against, but what you stand for. I hope you have a fabulous evening. Well, day, evening, morning, whatever time you're listening. <laughs> anyway, bye!